0: Your strumming pattern is offensive to me. Your strumming pattern is offensive to me. On your guitar, the strumming pattern, yeah, it's offensive. I was three months into my career as a pastor, and I was sitting in my office across uh, the desk from me was an elder from the church, he was some 40 years older than me, he was a physician and important in the church, and he was telling me these words about my guitar playing on the previous week. he had made an appointment with me, and I didn't really, I didn't know why he had made the appointment. I, he hadn't told me why he was coming, and and honestly, I was shocked. I figured, you know, I mean, if someone was going to come with a complaint, they would have something more substantive than that. I mean, even early on, I was actively uh, deconstructing my fundamentalist worldview. I mean... That week, or maybe the week before, I had tried to baptize a lady who smoked cigarettes, which I learned was a big no-no in that church. Um, so I was surprised that it was about my guitar playing, and so I was silent for a moment. Kind of tried to you know, gather my thoughts, like, what am I going to say? And I don't know how I came up with this, but I said, well, could you tell me, like, what was it about my guitar strumming pattern that you found so offensive? Um, you know, I mean, I, you know, I don't really set out to offend everyone or anyone if I can avoid it. And so could you tell me more about it? And, and he spluttered and snorted and, well, I don't know, he said. And that gave me some courage. And so I said, well, tell you what. This next week, I'm going to be playing again, so I want you to listen very, very carefully to my guitar playing, try to figure out what it is about it that is so offensive, and come back and tell me, because if, if it's something I can control, I would love to adjust it for you, and he agreed. Now, before I tell you the rest of that story, I just want to say thank you to Paradox Church. It is wonderful. To be with you uh, yet again. Um, it is a joy to get to preach with you. So thanks to Jasmine and to Craig for the invitation. And I know it's been a little bit since I've been here in person with school finishing up over the summer, things got a little bit uh, unmanageable in my household. Uh, but I understand that, that Craig has been doing a sermon uh, that's sort of about like fielding questions from the congregation, right? Sort of offering his... Um, contribution to the conversation. And so if you were to think of today's sermon sort of within that framework, you might think of today's sermon as an answer to a question that often goes unasked, which is not a cheeky way of saying that it's irrelevant. Uh, I I think it's pretty irrelevant. In fact, this is a topic that I talk about with my clients all the time, something that comes up really, really frequently, and, and that question would be, uh, when should I confront someone on their behavior, and how should I do it in the first place, right? So, so this is kind of our question for today, and, and, and like it's a really simple idea, but I don't think the answer is necessarily obvious, as we will see. Uh, It's one that I work through with folks all the time. So we're going to do a little bit of a therapy session today together. And that brings us back to our story with the elder. Uh, The next week he came back. This time he did not make an appointment. uh, And he sat down at my desk and he brought with him this time an apology. He had sat there in church and he had listened to me play and he could not figure out what it was about my guitar playing. that was so offensive to him. And he was able to admit to himself that he just doesn't really like guitars <laughs> and would prefer that they not be played in church, which honestly is a, is a perfectly valid preference to have. It just is kind of ridiculous to make that the subject of moral outrage, right? Uh, And he sort of figured that out. And he came with an apology to his credit. So I I want to take a a step back, however, and sort of ask the question, why on earth did he end up in my office in the first place, making an appointment to complain about my guitar strumming pattern? I still have no idea what it was. Well, he was a Christian. He was a mature follower of Jesus. He's read his Bible many, many times. And he had known, he had been told many times, did you, did you follow Matthew 18? And so he was dutifully following Matthew 18, which is our text for today. He was trying to be faithful to the scripture. And so he showed up uh, trying to follow this passage, the one that was read for us just a moment ago. Now... For me, I think that Matthew chapter 18 is fraught with lots and lots of problems, okay? It's not my favorite passage in the Bible. For one, our context is so different from the one that Jesus was in when he said this, right? From mass communications to a globalist economy to technology, uh, we have many, many different intersecting layers of Uh, identities and civil codes and ethical, professional, like, the world that we live in is so complicated. And it's hard for me uh, to not believe that if Jesus were giving us advice today about how to confront people, that he might say it a little bit differently. So that's, one, just the context. But, you know, for me, uh, I worked for many years professionally as a pastor and I, you know, have heard Matthew eighteen, you know, used as a verb. Did you Matthew eighteen them? And more often, <laughs> it's, it's really a thing. Uh, and uh, you know, very, very often, this text was not used particularly well, in my opinion. In fact. More often than not, it would kind of like deputize people into feeling like they would bear the morality police, right? And it's sort of like giving them permission to let out their inner caring and to go and, you know, let the person know what they did wrong, or to people use it also for virtue signaling. It's really complex, and it got really, really not good as a pastor and as a trans woman who also follows Jesus. I've learned firsthand the pain of condemnation, of public moral trials, and of shunning. You know, when, uh, when people use the phrase, uh, there's no hate like Christian love, I know a little bit about why folks say it. And part of the reason that it exists is because of this passage, Matthew chapter 18. But these aren't the only harms that have come by way of Matthew 18. Uh, the papal system of authority in the Roman Catholic Church in part is due to this passage. There's that phrase in there, whatever you bound, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven. In part, that, that text is used as the basis for such, ma- such bounteous gifts as mandatory confession and all male clergy excommunication, an indulgences system. Matthew 18 has been used to force victims of domestic sexual and spiritual abuse to confront their abusers alone, in private, before seeking out any other forms of justice. Matthew 18 has been used in evangelical circles as a prayer request promise. I can't tell you how many times I've been with people in the hospital at the bedside and heard this text invoked, where two or three are gathered, whatever you ask in my name will be done for you. And I can't tell you how many times I've sat later with little ones. Uh, these, this is a phrase that Jesus uses all throughout this whole chapter of Matthew chapter 18, those who were immature and vulnerable, who were kids. I can't tell you how many times I've sat with little ones who prayed this Prayer in earnest incited this text in earnest and then saw their faith crumble when their request didn't come true the way they believed it had been promised. This text, Matthew chapter 18, is from the lectionary reading from this week. One of the other passages in the lectionary is Exodus, er, or Ezekiel chapter 33. It uses the phrase watchman. And it evokes this image that, that the, the, the church or the children of Israel are, are responsible collectively for individual people's sin in their community, and that if the community doesn't speak out and identify that, that sin in an individual, that the whole community is culpable, and so it It tells Israel, you you have to be watchmen. So uh, televangelists got a hold of that, and they combined Ezekiel with this text in Matthew. And and so we ended up with, with a weaponized gospel where street preachers are out on the corner shouting us down, condemning us because they feel obligated as watchmen. There's lots of problems with Matthew chapter 18. So, with all the pitfalls, what do we do with a passage like this? Ought we to confront people, or ought we not? You know, what, how how do we manage through it? Well, I want to throw the question right back at you, and I want to ask for a little bit of audience uh, participation. So, I don't know if we can bring up the house lights just a little bit. It can still be dark, but I'd love to be able to see you all. Um, and and I, I wanna, I'm going to lay out a bit of a spectrum. You can kind of see it here on the screen right, from left to right. This is a spectrum. And, and, and in this spectrum, we're going to illustrate the intensity of confrontation. Right. So imagine you're going to confront someone. They did something wrong to you. They did something. Right, we'll, we'll talk about it in a moment. But, but we're, we're going to think about the intensity with which we go and speak to them. On one end of the spectrum is passivity. right? And on the other end of the spectrum is aggression, and probably assertiveness is somewhere in the middle. So by show of hands, we're gonna go through some options, and I, and I wanna invite you to be vulnerable right along with me and to kind of raise your hand. I want to, you to imagine that someone has harmed you, they talked behind your back, they betrayed your trust, you told them a secret and they told someone else about it, you, you got left out. Of a group, you were belittled. They stole something from you. All right, so picture that you've been wronged, and you're thinking, "I gotta go talk to this person." And I want you to think about how forcefully you usually would bring that confrontation. Sort of, you know, what's what's typical for you? What where where are you most of the time? So. Uh, who over here? Right, we're this way. Right. Okay, it's backwards up there. So, who over here is with me? Who uh, are avoidant? Who are my my people? My people. Yes, we're not alone. Some of us over here. Some we. Some of us over here. We're the ones we justify it, or we dissociate. Right. Or we do all we have all kinds of tricks to avoid having to confront anyone. Uh, we internalize it. We may even quote the Bible. We may say, oh, oh in, in John chapter 3 it says that Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, and so by God neither do I. Right? <laughs> right. All kinds. Okay, wonderful. Okay, good. So now one step more toward uh, the aggressive end of the spectrum uh, would be something that's maybe a little, like, indirect. So this might be like passive aggressive. Uh, we might write them an anonymous note. <laughs> right? Who are who are my anonymous note writers here? <laughs> Is there anyone? Oh, what? Okay. What about spilling the tea? Who spills the tea? Gossip. Okay. All right. Some of you. Yes. Bless you. Bless you. We're all on this spectrum somewhere. Okay. And probably we're all on the spectrum at different times, right? Uh, some of us, we, who's written, have you ever written a song about someone? I know, <laughs> you guys, I, I know that Paradox had that Olivia Rodrigo service, and it's like, oh man, the whole album is her writing songs about someone. <laughs> it's gorgeous. Um, maybe you hang up banners over the freeway, you know, saying nasty things about people you don't like. Maybe he preached preach a sermon about people who hang up banners over the freeway. <laughs> right, we're getting really meta here, that's good. Okay, good, so now we're getting more into the center, so here's cautiously direct. So this is the folks who circle back with some feedback. You know, I want to. I want to just check in with you and, and, and maybe discuss this. For who circles back with feedback? All right, some of us here, right? It's direct, but it's but it's cautious. You know, we're we cautious. All right, some of us here are circles We circle back. There's been a. I've circled back in my life before. I'm with you. Okay, good. Uh, one step further is uh, confidently direct. So this is like what your therapist wants you to do, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, so who, who's here, right? You say your boundaries. We say what we want. This is what I need. This is the harm that was caused. These are the consequences. This is what I'm okay tolerating. The, who, who's over here? And confidently direct. Uh, wonderful. Wonderful. You all have been to therapy. It's beautiful. Um, I took a course. Um, at, at, I work at the LGBTQ Center of the Desert in Palm Springs, and we just did a course as a staff on anti-racism, and I learned the term calling in, right? So it's sort of in contrast to calling out. Calling out, is like what we do on Twitter, or whatever, we do it on TikTok. Calling in is this, right? Calling in is we have, you know, a one-on-one, heart-to-heart conversation, and we have a conversation about what happened, and how it hurt, and what I expect in the future going forward, especially if we're gonna have a relationship, it's a beautiful thing. So, uh, the final one would be direct retaliation, right? So this is revenge. This is, I know God says that he will have vengeance, but I'm going to have vengeance a little bit right now. Uh, so this would, be, this would be the calling out, right? This is the, you know, the, the public confrontation. It, it may be overt. It may be, is there anyone here? And let's say it this way. Has anyone here ever been on this end of the spectrum? Over here, has anyone ever taken revenge? Anyone, there's some of you who are brave. Bless you, bless you, yeah, we're all over the place. Okay, we can bring the the lights back down, thank you. Wonderful, so there's a whole wide array of ways that we can think about responding, and this is just about intensity. This isn't even speaking about love and how do we we define what love is. Um, So when we think about Matthew chapter 18, not only is the text fraught with misuse, and pitfalls, and uh, potholes, and um, it also, I think, is very nuanced. In fact, I think that you'd have a hard time convincing me that, you know, Jesus' ideal here in Matthew is at any certain place along this spectrum. I think it could be in many different spots along this spectrum, depending on the circumstances so as a consequence one of your takeaways today for you as an individual well for one they're going to vary but one of your takeaways is where your takeaway is probably going to be determined in some ways by your personality by your history what you've been through your privilege It's going to be determined by a whole host of things. So if you're someone who tends to kind of be a busybody, right? You're in everyone's business all the time, drawing boundaries left and right. Part of the message of today may be to consider, well, when should I be more quiet? Right? For some of us, you know, um, we may be really, really tempted to, you know, put our own banner up or whatever, like, you know... There, there may be some of us who are here that, that we need to learn how to use our words better, right? To sort of evoke the parenting language, right? Instead of hitting, instead of retaliation, can we use words instead? And there might be some of us, God bless us over here, who would rather uh, almost do anything else to confront, where we need to put on our big girl panties and make an appointment to tell the person <laughs> about their guitar strumming pattern, or hopefully something more important than that. But, but the message today, it may be different for different ones of us, right? Depending on where our starting point happens to be. So before we kind of close it out this morning, I have one more observation to make. And, uh, you know, th- this model tells us something about How we ought to go about confrontation, how we might apply Matthew chapter 18. But it doesn't really answer the question about if or when. Um, You know, Jesus in Matthew chapter 18 uh, seems to be laying out this plan specifically within a church context, right? He uses a lot of church language, uh, brother, sister, sibling. Etc. You know, let them be like an outsider to you or whatever. So he seems seems fairly clear that he's speak, speaking that the that the context of this confrontation and this is you know answering if or when we should speak up. It seems like he's narrowing it specifically to like you know folks that are within your religious or spiritual community and not outside. There's one phrase early on that may even lead us to think that that it's narrower, yeah. there's this phrase, if your brother or sister sins against you. So it's not just sin in general. it's th- this is a harm that's it's specifically come your way in fact you way. The only problem with this is that the old the oldest manuscripts it leaves out this phrase. And, and that's pretty common and usually textual critics they say, the harder reading and the shorter reading is usually the autograph, is usually the authentic one. And so that's why I'll, it's about half and half, if you read through different translations of this text, about half and half uh, will have this phrase, sins against you, and about half that don't. So it may be that narrow or it may be a little bit wider. And, and most of the versions, like if you were to read the NIV, it'll have a note there and it'll say earliest manuscripts omit this phrase. So. You know, we're, 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 we're not totally clear, but it, it doesn't really point out the seriousness of the sin or the harm of the sin or anything like that. So, you know, we have some limited information from the text, but I, so I wanna suggest to you three really quick interrelated factors that I think can help us determine, um, you know, if and when we should confront. And now we really are going to therapy. This is like something I would do in my room uh, with, uh, with a client. Um, so uh, the first factor, I think, is relationship. You got two spectrums in one sermon from me. I just want to let you know oh, how lucky you are. Um, so one of those factors, I think, has to do with relational closeness, right? So um, if a person happens to be, you know, a stranger from us, then whether or not we, um, you know, whether or not we choose to uh, confront them. It may be different than if this person is a very very close friend. Like, what's the nature of the relationship? Has this person asked me for feedback? Right? Have they told me, "Hey, look, if I do that in public again, you've got to talk to me." Right? Have they asked for? Are they a family member? Are they part of a church? Or are they, you know, an acquaintance? Are they a coworker? Is it someone I saw walking down the side of the street? Is it someone that I said something I didn't like on Twitter? Like, you know, or on X. Where on the spectrum of relationship are they? And and in general, I would say that, you know, the greater the level of of relational intimacy, the more likely it is that we're going to confront a person, right? And and the more they're a stranger, the, the less likely we are to confront them. Right? And so and this is kind of a spectrum. You can kind of see the red over here and the blue over here, right? So blue is like we're not gonna confront, red we we are gonna confront. We're gonna leave this up here. So that's one factor. The second factor has to do with harm. What harm was caused? Now when Jesus was speaking, he was working within a little bit more of an authority worldview of ethics, right? And in postmodern America, I mean we're still kind of fighting over this, but Many of us in postmodern America, we work off of an ethic that has to do with harm. How much harm was caused? You know, was was the harm that was caused? Was it very, very damaging, very dangerous, very harmful, or you know, was it you know nothing at all? Was it benign, right? And, and again, this is something that I think has an impact. You know, uh, when I uh, when I start a therapy uh, relationship with a client, we give all sorts of disclaimers about the scope of our service and what happens if you don't show up and whatever. But one of the things we talk about is confidentiality. And I give them uh, you know, a spiel, something like this. Everything we talk about in therapy is protected. It's completely confidential between you and I. I will not talk with anyone about it. Even if your spouse or your mom calls me, I won't share this information. It's purely between us. However, There are a couple of narrow exceptions to that rule. If you let me know that there is uh, child abuse happening, if you let me know that there's elder abuse happening, if you let me know that you intend to harm yourself or to harm someone else, I may have to break our confidentiality agreement. And and if I'm going to break it, I will let you know that I'm going to have to break it out. I'm not going to keep that from you. But but there are limits. And, And what we call that is, I mean, it's part of, you know professional ethics, and if you're a physician or an educator or you work in medicine or you work almost in any kind of public-facing job, you too are a mandatory reporter, is what we call it. If we learn about some harm going on, even if the person is a stranger, we have to tell. We have to call them out, or call them in, or both, if you will. And so even in our culture, in our society, and, and, and honestly, it's, it's a legal thing, right? I can be held legally liable if I don't disclose uh, those kinds of harms that I find out about. And, and I would tell you, I would guess that most of us in this room, if not all of us, who are mandatory reporters, we would say it's not just the, the legal thing to do, it's actually the ethical thing to do. I feel morally compelled to speak up. And so you could end up with a situ- Well, so I would say that, you know, so the more damaging, maybe this goes without explanation, but the more damaging, uh, you know, an action is, the more likely we are to speak up, right? And, and the more benign it is, the more harmless it is, the less likely we should be to speak up. And so we end up with this kind of, you know, funny gradient, right, that runs from this corner over to this corner. You know, it might be, I had a really hard time trying to make a concave gradient. You wouldn't believe how much time I spent trying to mess with this stupid thing. So it's a straight line, but I don't really think it would be a straight line in reality. In in any case, uh, you know, the gradient is something like this. So... You can have someone who's a perfect stranger to you but is doing something really, really awful, really, really harmful, and it may behoove us to go speak to them or to speak to someone else, you know, to be, maybe raise the stakes even faster than Matthew 18 prescribes because of the level of harm. And similarly, we might have someone in our life who is very, very close to us and they merely did something that was embarrassing to them. And we still might need to speak to them, because of the closeness of the relationship. Are you with me? You following? So this is how we figure out. Now, I said there were three factors, so here's the third factor. Power and privilege warp this whole thing. All things are not equal. Power and privilege are positionality in a context, in society, in history. It warps this whole graphic in my royal opinion, right? So, if you find yourself as someone in a great position of authority or power, it probably would behoove you to be very, very careful about showing up at someone's office to complain about the guitar strumming pattern, right? If, if you're in a position of power, if you find yourself with a lot of privilege, we should be slower and more careful about when we choose to make those confrontations. And it may be... You know, more limited up here to the, to the corner, right? Some peop- we're going to confront mostly folks that we're close to who are doing really, really harmful stuff. Now, it may not be this extreme, but I'm showing this to you for, you know, see. And honestly, if I were doing this thing, what I would do for someone who has privilege is, you know, probably most of this is fairly red and then it probably curves off like this, but again, I could not figure out how to get it to do it that way. So it's probably something like that, you know? But it, 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 it gets worked majorly, right? And, and similarly, if you find yourself in a situation where you're a little one, you know, Jesus spends, like I said, a long time in Matthew chapter 18 talking about the weakest and the vulnerable in society and how the church is uh, behooved to look after them and to take care of them, to watch out for them and to not harm them. And so if you find yourself as a little one, it, it probably expands the uh, opportunity or the obligation or the necessity of speaking up for yourself. So you might find yourself, you know, even speaking to a stranger who's causing harm, maybe not like massive harm, like maybe they're, you know, misgendering you at the doctor's office, not that, that has ever happened to me, where you might say, "Hey, she, thanks." Right? You know, like, depending on where our positionality at, this whole thing may warp, and it may become more red, and we may have more uh, obligation to speak up for ourselves. Um, so, at the beginning of the sermon, I told you that I don't like this passage. <laughs> and I explained some reasons why. I want to close... Uh, by sharing one reason that I do like it. Okay, so we're going to leave on a positive note. Uh, early on in the passage, Jesus uses a phrase that I think is the emotional key in many ways to the whole chapter, but certainly to this particular paragraph. He uses the phrase, you have gained your sibling. And see, I think Matthew chapter 18 at its core is about the power of grace. I think it's about hope. I think it's about the beauty and wonder of relationships. I think it's about the goodness of humanity. I think it's an invitation to fight for people, to stay connected with them, and to love them well. Last June in Denver, uh, there was a beautiful story that came out of Pride Fest. Maybe you heard a little bit about it. There was a man named Justin Nash. He's a 53 year old white cisgender man who was in a wheelchair um, and he found himself at Pride Fest at the parade. He wasn't from Denver, he's from Amarillo, Texas, right? Uh, and this story made the rounds, I think, especially on TikTok because of this sign that he was carrying, uh, which says, Recovering bigot, I'm so sorry, free hugs. And the TikTok video, person after person after person came up and hugged him. So what's the story with this guy, Justin Nash? Well, there's several different news articles. He did a number of different interviews. And and, and what he he talked about is, is living for a long, long time steeped in homophobia, steeped in hate, steeped in misogyny for other people. And he talked about how he had been on this 20-year-long quest to unlearn all of that hatred that had been indoctrinated in him. And he talked about how, you know, that he wasn't super overt in his homophobia. He talked about how, yeah, I did, and like you know, those of us who are queer probably would argue about the harm that comes from crude jokes, right, and cruelty, but he, you know, he kind of dismissed that off, well, you know, I just, I, was, I, I said some cavalier stuff sometimes, and he talked about how he cut off a friend once who came out to him, and he never saw him again, so, he, you know, he had some stuff going on in his life, this man, Justin Nash. Um, but he talks about how he had been reading the Bible and specifically been reading the words of Jesus, and he'd kind of been convicted. I want to grow, but I don't know how to do it. And so there was a lesbian woman that was in his life. I think she worked with him. And so he went up to her and said, Hey, I want to be a better person. Would you help me? And she had a moment of truth. Right She had been harmed in lots of different ways, maybe not all directly by him. She had some kind of relationship with him. And certainly after that question being asked, it, it shifted the relationship even more. so she was found she found herself in this moment of decision, what do I do? Should I tell him about it? And what should I say? And so as the story goes, she she went for it. She gave him honest feedback. She talked with him about what he could do to become a better person. She told him about his sin, as it were. It changed his life. What a powerful gift she gave him. What a gift of grace that she gave him. What a gift that we all could give. So my prayer for you is that you may have the love and the courage and the wisdom to do so.